You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Good morning. How is everybody? Great. Good. Um, Just to kind of give you a heads up, uh, this is... (laughs) It's going to be like a two-part sermon uh, this week and next week. We're in this series, Questionable. Now, I got two sermons in this series. Now, the, the, the last sermon, which will be next week, my hope is just to kind of tie it up. But, uh, but you know, for those of you who may be visiting today, maybe you're wondering, well, what, what kind of sermon series is this? Uh, this is a sermon series where I asked you, Meadowbrook, to submit you know, ideas or topics uh, of, of things that maybe you've never heard me preach on before or that you've not heard a pastor preach on before. And there were 40 submissions. I kind of boiled them down to uh, 13 weeks. And uh, this, there are multiple things that are going to be covered in this sermon. The, the, big, the big thing that we're going to address is did God endorse genocide? If you're familiar with the Bible, and if you've read through the, the Old Testament, you're familiar with n- not just you know, Genesis chapter 15, but passages where God commanded his people to literally destroy whole people groups. And uh, I believe that the Bible, in, the, in Meadowbrook, we, be, we believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe it is inspired by God. Every last bit of it, every bit of it from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, I, as your pastor, am called to preach the full counsel of God's word, and this is one of those, uh, one of those topics. So, so that's what we're going to be addressing. It's kind of a difficult subject, but my hope is that you'll be helped by the end of it. The question that came in, or the topic submission that came in, said something to the effect of this. Now, this is not the first time that I've been asked about this. But it said, if, if the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament are the same God, then why did he tell the Israelites to kill and destroy whole villages, including children? Now, I've been asked that question a bunch of times. There's actually a great book by Christopher Wright titled The God I Do Not Understand or The God I Don't Understand. I don't know if it's still uh, in publication, but you could probably find a copy of it, of it on Amazon where he's, he has a whole chapter, maybe, maybe it's two chapters devoted to this, I read it a long time ago. Uh, and then I just, as I was working on this sermon, I thought, well, okay, so what, is, what does genocide really mean? You know, and so the United Nations, they have their definition, which um, I don't know if you give any credibility to some of the stuff that's coming out recently with them, but they did, they, they, this is their, their definition is uh, that genocide includes or is the deliberate intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. And so God told or promised Abraham that I'm going to give you a land. Now the problem with that is the land, the land I'm going to give you has people in it. And by you possessing this land will mean the expulsion of other people groups in that la- from that land. And even today, there's a lot of debate about it, right? So you, you turn on CNN or whatever, and you, and you continue to hear, you know, the, the, this conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, and whose land is whose, and how much land it belongs to Israel, how, long, how much land belongs to Palestine. This is not a sermon on that. This is a sermon on why. Why would God command, or why would God, well, why would God command his people to do that? Why did he promise Abraham uh, this, this land that wasn't his? And so uh, that's my sermon. So I'm just, I'm just kind of setting it up for you uh, in an effort to, to, to help you understand why, why this is in the Bible. So here's, so, so you have Genesis chapter 15. This is the second time that God reminded Abraham 
of this promise. The first time is when God said to him, when the, the first time he made this promise is Genesis chapter 12, and he said this, now the, the, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To your offspring I will give this land. So, so there's multiple promises in this big promise. One, I'm going to give you this land. Two, I'm going to multiply your descendants, which is a, the problem, if you know anything about the story, is uh, Abraham doesn't have any descendants yet. He doesn't have any children. His wife is pretty much barren. God miraculously later will, will enable uh, Sarah to get pregnant, and they'll have their son, Isaac. He says, so, so go from your, your home, go, go f- leave your home of Ur, Basically, Abraham was most likely a moon worshiper, worshipped other gods. God singled him out, said, I'm going to call you to follow me now. I am not just any of the gods that you're familiar with. I am the God. I am, I am the God of all creation. I spoke the galaxies into existence. And, and now, Abraham, you are Abram at this point. You are going to follow me. So Abram leaves the city of Ur. He follows the Lord. And then later on, he receives a new name, which is Abraham, which means you know, father, father of a multitude or a great multitude. And, and so that's the promise. Now, here's what I want to focus on. This is not a lecture. I just, I'm, I got to set this up so that you kind of feel the impact and the weight of why God would, would command his people to, to you know, literally destroy, in this case, we're going to look at Jericho, like the city of Jericho and other places. Like, how does that fit with, and through you, all the nations will be blessed? How does that jive with that? How, how, do, how does God calling Abraham out of Ur to the land of Canaan end up with the blessing of the nations? I think sometimes when we, when we read passages like this, we... The, the, the tension that we feel is that we, we read a, a, you know, Genesis chapter 15 and, and we feel like, oh man, I, this, doesn't, this doesn't sit well with, with my sense of justice. How can this be just? Why would God call Abraham into Canaan? Why would he raise up a whole people, people group, the Hebrew people of Israel, to um, drive out the Canaanites? What, what is that all about? Here's the other thing I want you to focus on. So Genesis chapter 15, that very last verse, and uh, this is, this is mind-blowing for me, and this is, kind of be the, this is going to be the thread that's kind of woven through my entire sermon. Look at verse 16. So if you have a Bible, I hope you're looking at it. If you have a digital device, you know, bring up Genesis chapter 15. I want you to see this. God tells Abraham, your descendants are going to be in another land that's not their own for four generations, for 400 years. And they're going to be there while something else is going on. And we we see it in verse 16. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. Why? For the iniquity of the Amorites, which is the largest of the people groups in Canaan, is not yet complete. Now, I just want you to just let that settle on you for a minute. I'll explain what he's talking about here as we, as we work our way through this, through this passage. But he says, you're going, Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. You're going, to, you're going to be a father of a multitude. All the nations are going to be blessed through you. But there's going to come a season for 400 years where your people, your descendants, are going to be in another land. We know that is Egypt. For 400 years, they're going to be slaves there. And then when, when the time comes, when the iniquity of the Amorites is full, when it's complete, when my patience for their sin has been finally exhausted, then you will be, your, your generation or your, your people will be released from slavery and I will then use them to, to judge the Amorites. That's what he's saying there. Now I just want you to, that to settle on your heart for a little bit as we as we work through this. So, so what happens? Well, 
Abraham's descendants wind up in Egypt. This guy Joseph, who God used, pretty much second to Pharaoh, used to, to, to spare Abraham's descendants from, from destruction, from famine. They wind up in Egypt. There was a season of blessing in Egypt. And then there was a Pharaoh who had forgotten Joseph. And, um, and all of Israel, all the Hebrew people, wound up as slaves. Why there are slaves in Egypt for, for hundreds of years? They multiply, they, grew, they increase, their numbers increase, they grew. Uh, eventually, God raised up a guy by the name of Moses. You remember him? And, God, and Moses led Israel out of the captivity through the, through the power of God, out of the captivity of, of, of Egypt and slavery. After they passed through the Red Sea, God says, here, I want, you, I want you all to understand something, that as my people, you are going to be a kingdom of priests. So, so I want you to see this. So God delivered Israel from the bondage of slavery through Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Uh, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings, meaning you saw all the plagues, you saw all the miraculous stuff that I, was, that I did, in order to deliver you from the bondage of slavery in Egypt and from Pharaoh's hand, uh, how I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, the reason why I called you to myself, the reason why I first called Abraham to follow me, and, that, and the reason why I promised him a, this, this, the land of Canaan, and the reason why I promised him that he would be the father of a multitude of people, and the reason why after 400 years of slavery, I delivered you from, from the Egyptian bondage, the, the reason why I did that is because I'm calling you to myself to be for me my people, my treasured possession, uh, because all the earth is mine. I own Canaan. I own Egypt. I own it all. I'm giving Canaan to you. And the reason why I'm doing it is that you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, you are going to represent me, Israel, before all the other nations. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to mediate uh, between myself and the rest of the nations. That is your role. You're going to speak on behalf of me to the nations and before the nations. And, um, and if, you, if you remember the story, if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Israel didn't do a very good job at that. In fact, they wound up worshiping other gods. They, they, they're known, they were known for their rebellion towards God and against God. They were known for embracing the gods of the people groups that surrounded them. <clears throat> and, um, but this was what they were called to be. Abraham was called to represent God. Every time God called somebody to follow him or to, to be his people was to, to represent him, to be holy before the nations or before the peoples. And so I, just, so I just set the stage for you, and now what I want to ask is, who are the Amorites? Who are the Amorites? So the Amorites, like I said, were one of the main people groups in, the, in Canaan. What I, love about the, what, what I love about verse 16 is, is uh, again, I keep going back to this. and like, This was the thing that kept haunting me throughout the week as I was working on my message, that while Israel was suffering as slaves, in Egypt, God was expanding them. He was growing them. He was multiplying them. He was preparing them to be his kingdom of priests. And while he was doing that, he was giving the Amorites every opportunity to turn from their sin, their sins. So while Israel was suffering in Egypt and God was preparing them for a life of ministry, he was, he was he was relenting from judgment upon the Amorites, a judgment that they deserved. Well, why did they deserve judgment? The kinds of gods that they worshipped, uh, they worshipped the whole, whole, whole pantheon of different gods. But they, there were three in particular goddesses that they worshipped where uh, they were known for or... or encourage deviant sexual practices so we would call it in our day and age 
sexual liberation, you know, sky's the limit, do whatever you want sexually. Their gods encouraged that. They were the unhindered violence. They were known as a very violent people. And as an expression of their worship, child sacrifice. So you had the god of Moloch, um, and, and so, uh, and all kinds of stuff. Just let that, just file that in a compartment in your brain for a moment. We'll get back to that at the end of, our, at the end of my message. But, but that's what they were known for. And, and God said, I, I, at some point, the iniquity of the Amorites will be complete. The NIV translates it this way. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Think about that. Israel is multiplying in Egypt for 400 years. God is relenting from judgment upon the Canaanites. He is preparing Israel. Eventually, Israel will be released from the bondage of slavery in a way that only God was able to liberate them. They will be his kingdom of priests, and then God will use them as his kingdom of priests to judge uh, the people groups in the land of Canaan, particularly the Amorites. What that tells me is this. God's patience is long-suffering. God is a patient God. So before we even get into why would he tell his people to go destroy like a whole city like Jericho, understand that God is a patient God. He is a holy God. He is a patient God. In fact, he will tell Israel in Leviticus chapter 18, he will, he will, say, to, he will he'll say to them, this is the kind of people you are to be in contrast to the type of people and the type of worship that is expressed in the land of, in the land of Canaan. It's like, do not, make for yourselves un, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. That's, he's talking about Canaan. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, for the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as I vomited out the land that was before you. I, I love the language that's used there. <laughs> vomit out. God vomits out the people. Uh, the land vomits them out. Um, God says there, you are to be a, a distinct people, but what, if, you are to, if you wind up worshiping the gods of these people, if you wind up engaging in child sacrifice, if you wind up uh, engaging in all kinds of sexual perversion, well, there will, my patience with you will also be exhausted and you will be vomited out. And you know what happened? That happened. That happened. I don't have time to get into all the details, but, but just a Reader's Digest version. Uh, you had... Uh, David, who became king of Israel, and then after after uh, David was Solomon. Solomon uh, married a bunch of women from other other people groups. Wound up worshiping their gods. Uh, God then, you know, Solomon died. Uh, then there was there was a division in terms of who thought that they should rule, and then the the, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Uh, the northern kingdom was known for its idolatry. The southern kingdom, by and large, was known for worshiping, worshiping Yahweh, worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, in the southern kingdom, they had the temple, the temple that Solomon built. And, um, and so the, northern, or the southern kingdom watched as the Assyrian Empire, God raised up the Assyrian Empire to judge the northern kingdom because of their idolatry. And they were carried off into exile, just as God promised in Leviticus. The land will vomit you out if you, if you wind up becoming guilty of the same kinds of stuff that these other pagan groups are, are guilty of. The, the southern kingdom, this is where it gets, this is where it gets uh, real. The southern kingdom thought that they were exempt from God's judgment because they had the temple of God. And they had the rightful reign of king, the kings in the line of Judah. And they thought, well, God's not going to judge us. And then there were prophets that would come, that God would raise up because the southern kingdom, people in the southern kingdom began to worship other gods. And God would raise up prophets and say, don't do it. Don't do it. Listen to the word of the Lord. Obey him. 
you know, repent from your sins. And then there were these other false prophets who would stand up and say, God's not going to judge you. You know, I mean, he's, he, he, he understands. And after hundreds of years of God raising up prophets, uh, warning his people, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. God raised up another empire by the, Babyl- called the Babylonian Empire. And he used that empire to judge the southern kingdom. They besieged Jerusalem, which was the capital, surrounded it. There are, re- there, there are stories of where they kept food from entering into the city, where women were eating their babies. They leveled the ci- the, the, not just the city, but, but the temple. <clears throat> God warned them that this, would a- that this would happen. So this wasn't just something that, was, that God was warning would happen to the Amorites. This is something that God said, if you, if you pr- go down this road, you will also be judged. And so, 400 years, God was preparing Israel to be a kingdom of priests. For 400 years, actually more than 400 years, close to 500 years, God was relenting from judgment upon the Amorites. So, those are the two like bookends. I just want to, I just want to, just so you hear that. That's the context. I, I, as I was thinking about that, I thought of Romans chapter two, verse four. Let's go to that verse. Let's read this together. Ready? Do not, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God was kind to the Amorites. And so, I don't know, I didn't know how to like categorize my sermon. I don't know if it's like scene one, scene two, scene three, <laughs> act one, act two, act three, I don't know. Uh, I just I, I want you to see the full picture so that you can under, so that when I get to the application part, uh, you can feel the weight of that. So the second point or second act or whatever, why was Israel called into Canaan? Again, Exodus chapter 19. That's why, Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now you are my treasured possession. You're going to be to me a treasured possession. And, and, and the context of that, or, or the, how that's going to look, is you're going to be a people known to obey my commandments. Here are my commandments. You are going to be a distinct people. You're going to strive to be holy as I am holy. That's what's going to set you apart from all the people groups. You're going to worship the one true God, Yahweh, who stands above all creation, who spoke the galaxies into existence. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and you're going to represent me before the nations. And, and what, I, what I find fascinating about this is, so I was geeking out over this, okay? So, and I shared it with my, my family multiple times to the point of like, again? You're going to tell us again? Yes. <laughs> this is so cool. Um, so, Abraham died, right? Then you had Joseph, who was second to Pharaoh. Uh, you had these descendants that were continuing to multiply move into Egypt because there's this famine and they camped in Egypt for a long time then one of the pharaohs were told forgot forgot Joseph they wound up becoming slaves they're there for 400 years 400 years had come come and gone and then then you have this guy by the name of Moses and uh, and think I want you to think about this for a moment Moses grew up in, in Egypt. He knew something about his lineage because when he saw an Egyptian guard beating a Hebrew slave, Moses attacked the Egyptian guard, killed him, and then buried him in the sand and then fled. Now, now listen to me very closely, just because I want you to hear this, I want you to remember it. Moses fled... Egypt, and where did he go? He went into the wilderness. How long did he spend in the wilderness? 40 years. So now, he, so 40 years had come and gone, and by this point, he's a, he's, by, when we come to Exodus chapter 3, he's an old man. He is 80 years old, somewhere around 80 years old. And he sees this burning bush, and he approaches it. He's like, I got to see this thing. This is weird. I never saw anything like this. So he goes to the, bur- he approaches the burning bush and he hears the voice of the Lord from the burning bush. And, and this is what he says. Listen to this, okay? He says to Moses, 
do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So Moses has an encounter with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob while in hiding from the authorities of Egypt because he murdered an Egyptian guard. He sees the burning bush. He starts to walk closer to the burning bush. And as he gets too close, God says, you're a sinner, I'm holy, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. And then God revealed himself to Moses. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Jacob, or Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And uh, we're told that Moses' response was, wasn't, well, he, he didn't go up to the burning bush and say, give me a hug, God, I love you, I miss you, it's been a long time. He didn't say that. He, he hid his face. He hid his face. Why? Because he was afraid. He knew that he was in the presence of the holy and he deserved death. That, that's, that was his response. And God said, I'm going to use you, Moses, and I, I'm going to use you to lead my people who are in bondage out of the captivity, captivity of, of Egypt, just as I had promised Abraham, your great, 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 great grandfather. And I'm going to deliver my people. And Moses' response was, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring, and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Because I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm actually... I'm a murderer, is really who I am. I'm a murderer who can't talk well. <laughs> and so Moses gives God all kinds of excuses why he shouldn't use Moses. And, and, and God said, who made the deaf, mute, deaf and who made the mute mute? Like, I, I made all this, and I made you, Moses, so I'm going to use you. But here's what you could say to the people. Since, you're, since you want to know, hey, wh what should I say to the people when they ask me, who sent, which God sent you to us? What is his name? And uh, God says, "We'll say to the people of Israel, I am who has, I am has sent me to you. The Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You know what's also another thing I was geeking out over? You don't know, so I'm going to tell you. Um, what God told Moses, go to Pharaoh and represent me Tell them who I am, and just so you know, Moses, I will be with you. What did Jesus say to the disciples when he gave them the, the, the Great Commission? Yep. Yeah, that's another sermon. But I, was, I just wanted you to know what I was geeking out over. Okay, so, so, um, so that's what Moses does. He goes to Egypt, he goes there with Aaron, and, uh, and, and God, God uses him. He uses them and, and miraculously delivers, delivers all of Israel from the bondage of slavery. They, they, part, they, they walk, they journey, they get to the Red Sea, God parts the Red Sea miraculously, they walk through, they journey through the Red Sea, the Egyptians are following them, um, and God closes the Red Sea over top of the Egyptians and delivers them. And then they're in the land of Cain, or they're in the wilderness, wandering. And as they're wandering, God is preparing them and, and, and molding them and shaping them in the wilderness. And you know the story. Israel's known for their complaining and why, why did God, why did you lead us into the wilderness? We should have died in Egypt. You know, it was better there than it was here. All kinds of stuff. I, I mean, you, when you read through uh, the, the first five books of, of the Bible, uh, it's, I mean, you, you're kind of forced to empathize with, with Moses. He was given a very difficult task. So they're wandering in the wilderness, and God, oh, mindful of the promise of God, I will give you the land of Canaan. I will give you the land of Canaan. I will give you the land of Canaan, just as I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You saw what I did with the, when you were in bondage and slavery with Egypt. You saw, you saw the plagues. You saw me kill all the firstborn. I called you to, I told you, celebrate the Passover meal. And before you do that, I want you to, I want you to slaughter a lamb, a perfect lamb, an unblemished lamb, and take the blood of that lamb and mark the doorposts of your house so that when the angel of death comes, it will pass over your house. Even though you deserve death, it will pass over your house and it will strike the firstborn of every household 
in Egypt. So, so they saw all that. They're in the wilderness, and then, and then Moses said, okay, God is going to give you the, the land of Canaan, but we're going to send spies into the land of Canaan. So this, I'm just going to tell you the story now. So, and you can find this in Numbers chapter 13. Uh, so so 13, or 12 spies are sent into the land of Canaan. The very first city they would have encountered was a major city in the land of Canaan. It was a major city of the Amorites, known as Jericho. So they get there. They're spying, it out, spying out the land. They come back, all 12, and uh, two of the 12 were, it was a guy by the name of Caleb and a guy by the name of Joshua. Joshua and Caleb and, and the rest of the spies. They come back, and this is the report that they give to Moses and the people of Israel. We came to the land in which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and, it, and this is its fruit. Look, see, big grapes and stuff. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. I mean, like, who are we? We're just, we're just shepherd people. We're not warriors. We're not soldiers. But those people in the land of Canaan, they are. Their, their cities are fortified and large. They've got more advanced weaponry than we do. We've, we've got like these makeshift swords and stuff. And, and besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The, Amal- the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the, in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So guess who, guess who speaks up? This guy, Caleb. He says, so? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Big deal. God, God, I mean, we saw what God did in Egypt. And, and we, we know the promises of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said he's going to give us this land. So let us go up and occupy, occupy it, and we, will, and we will be able to overcome it. And then, and, and Joshua was with Caleb, like in terms of agreement. But then the rest of them, the ten spies, spoke up and said, hmm, I don't think that's a good idea. You see, the men who had gone, this is what it says, the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land and that they had spied out, saying the land through which we uh, have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from Nephilim, and, uh, or Nephilim, or I don't know, I'm butchering the name. So, and, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Meaning, it's impossible. We know what God said, but taking the land is impossible. So you know what happened? God judged them. He said, you, you've seen what I did in Egypt, You've seen, me, you've seen my hand move. It was, you saw how you, miraculously you passed through the Red Sea. You've heard my word, and I've promised, and I've been faithful, that I will bless you, and you agree that you're going to be my kingdom of priests, but you're still griping. You're still complaining. You're still doubting. So here's the deal. Everyone from the age of 20 and older who has complained will not enter the land of Canaan. And then, and then the people are like, oh, we're sorry, we're, sorry. we're so sorry we, we doubted you. We're going to go take the land now. And Moses said, the bad idea. God said you're not going into the land. And they tried to take the land, and, the, and they were beaten. Um, Israel was beaten. At next week's sermon, we'll talk a little bit about that. So then, that's 40 years ago. So then 40 years passes. Remember Moses, 40 years between murdering the Egyptian uh, pharaoh, or I mean the Egyptian guard, and then encountering the burning bush? Now you have Joshua. Moses had died, and Joshua was given the, role, given the mantle that Moses carried in terms of leading Israel into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. So 40 years had passed. The generation... Of four gen- uh, the generation of, of, of those spies that rebelled are all dead. And so Joshua, we're told in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is by, in proximity of Jericho, checking it out. 
Earlier, they sent some spies into Jericho, where these spies met a girl by the name of Rahab, who, who basically spared them, kept them from being discovered. And, uh, and, and because of that, because of Rahab's belief in the God of, of the Israelites, she was spared too. So Joshua's there, and I, I can't imagine, I, I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller where he was reflecting on this earlier this week, but Joshua's there, and he's just, he must have been thinking about that time in Numbers chapter 13, 40 years ago, where 10 of the spies rebelled against the promise of God, and, um, and here he is. So we come to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. I want, you to, I want you to hear this and see this. It will be on the screen. And Joshua wanted to, you know, um, well, let me set it up. So Joshua's there, and he sees, this, he sees this warrior with a sword drawn. And, um, and Joshua goes up to meet him. Now, it's not like, hey, let me shake your hand. Uh, you know, you want to be my friend. <laughs> this, is, this is, if you're not for me, I'm going to kill you. Or if you're not for us, I'm going to kill you. Uh, Joshua is now the, he's the general. He's, he's the guy leading Israel. And so he sees this man with a drawn sword, and Joshua says to him, you can read this in Joshua chapter 5, he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? And this person says with sword drawn, neither. I'm, the, I'm neither for you or for your adversaries. He, he says this, he says, no, but I, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come... And what was Joshua's response? Joshua fell onto, uh, on his face to the earth and worshiped. Now what you need to understand is angels forbid wor the worship. When, anytime somebody would bow to an angel and worship them, an angel of the Lord, the angel of God or whatever, angels of God, they would say, don't do that. I'm just a creature like you. We, you see that in the book of Revelation where John, at the end of book, the book of Revelation, John falls down to worship this angel and the angel says, you must not do that. So what does, this, what does this commander of the Lord's army say? Uh, he doesn't, permit him from, he doesn't uh, prohibit him from worshiping. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? So he bows, he, he, he prostrates himself before this commander of the Lord's army and he says, what do you want me to do? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is, what? Holy. And Joshua did. And he's given instructions as to how he's going to take Jericho. Which, just, this is a whole other sermon. This is, this is what we would call a theophany. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. This is why Joshua worships him. What's interesting about these, these two experiences that Moses had and Joshua had is that they both had to take off their sandals because the ground that they were standing on was holy. And here's the point. Did Moses have any right to, to, to lead Israel out of the bondage of Egypt? Like, was he special? No. He was a sinner just like everybody else. Just like Abraham who was called out of Ur. And what about Joshua? Did he have any right to, to take Jericho? No, he's a sinner just like everybody else in Jericho. The only difference that set Moses apart and Joshua apart from the rest of from the, the people in Canaan was, was that they worshiped the God of all creation. And so, so this leads me to my third point. What's the purpose, the purpose of Israel and Canaan? This is where we get into the application part of it. To be a kingdom of priests before the nations around them. And so, so how, how is Joshua to, to take the first city of Canaan as they entered into the land of Canaan? Was he going to do that with his, with his military experience? Was he going to do that with his, with his strength, with his might? No. What did God tell him to do? March around the city a bunch of times. Carry the Ark of the Covenant, because that's, that's a representation of my presence. Carry that around, too. Make sure you have some ram's horns, some horns, and you're going to do that a bunch of times, and then when you find, when you, and, and then you're going to blow your horns, and then and then then I'm going to deliver the all of Jericho into your hands. And that's exactly what happened. 
And we're told in Joshua chapter 6, verse 21, they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Why? For 400 plus years, God was relenting from judgment, judging the Canaanites. And the patience of his, of his, of his justice and his holiness had run out. And it was time for judgment. And, um, and, and, and so the, the walls came down, and God delivered the city into their hands. And we're told every, everything was, was, was given into their hands for destruction except for one family. This prostitute, this brothel owner by the name of Rahab, who in just a few chapters earlier in Joshua said to the spies, he said, I know the Lord has given you the land and that fear of you has fallen upon us. See, see, this is how we know that the Amorites knew of the God of the Hebrew people. I knew that the Lord has given, the, the, has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And, and that's why Rahab said, I'm going to hide you guys. And the reason why she hid them is because although there are other people, the king of Jericho knew of the stories of how God delivered the Hebrew people, he wanted to seek out the spies and kill them and destroy them. And Rahab spared them. And so here's the really crazy thing about this whole story is that God judged Jericho and eventually and there will be other city and people groups that would be judged as a result you know, in the days that would, that would pass under the leadership of just of just. Uh, Joshua. But the crazy thing about this is, is that is the mercy of God in the, in the context of his judgment. Like Rahab, just like Abraham, Abraham worshiped the, the, some moon god. Who knows what, who Rahab worshiped before she met these spies? But when she knew that the judgment of God was coming, she said, I'm going to yield to this God of the Hebrew people. And not only, was it, not only did God spare her, but he spared her, her relatives and anybody that belonged to her. And they brought her into, into the people of Israel. Here, here's what's, in, in, I think, really cool about this. Rahab met some Hebrew dude, <laughs> some guy by the name of uh, Salomon. I, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He had a son. They had a son together. You know whose son they, they, they had together? It was a guy, and his name was Boaz. And some of you are maybe connecting the dots. Boaz, Boaz met a girl, by, a Moabite woman by the name of Ruth. Moabites were not, they were not part of Israel. They were outside of Israel. Boaz met Ruth. They had a child together, and they named him Obed. Obed was the, great, was the grandfather of David. Obed and his wife, uh, we've had a son, Jesse, or, or, or Jesse was their grandson, and then Jesse and his wife had, had, gave birth to David. David wound up becoming the descendant of, uh, or Jesus would be the descendant of David. David was promised there would be a king that would come after you who would sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. He would be the king of kings and lord of lords. And then Jesus was born. So for 400 years, God was, re was, was preparing Israel to be his kingdom of priests, protecting the bloodline that would eventually give birth to Jesus. And then for 400 years, he was relenting. He was relenting from judgment on the Amorites. I, I like to think that he was relenting from judgment on the Amorites. And then, then this prostitute, or this little baby girl that would be, would be born, she'd eventually become a brothel owner or a prostitute by the name of Rahab. God was waiting. He was waiting. Why? So that 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Redeemer of the nations, the one who would make the redemption of, the, uh, of people groups from all over the world possible, Jesus the Christ, who would live the life we could never live and die a death that each and every one of us deserves. The reason why Moses had to take off his sandals and the reason why Joshua had to take off his sandals is because Moses deserved the, the fire of God's wrath and Joshua deserved the sword of God's judgment. There's nothing special about these men. God just decided to use them. He had set his love upon them, not because they deserved it, because God set his love upon them. And so I, I go back to Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and I just, just to let this settle on your heart, do not presume, presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And I was sitting there in my office this morning, I was just thinking, okay, so... There's a lot of information there. There's a lot of information there. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for Meadowbrook? What does that mean for you for, for tomorrow and for Wednesday and for Friday and for Saturday? And like, what does that mean for your life? Well, well, first is God is holy. He is holy. He takes his holiness seriously. He, he doesn't need to perfect his holiness. He is, by definition, holy. And, and uh, he is dependent on no one for his moral character. We are dependent upon God as, uh, for our moral character as we strive for, for holiness. God is eternally, and it's a big word, immutably holy, meaning he's perfectly holy. What, what does God's holiness mean for his people? Like I said, Moses deserved the fire of God's wrath. Joshua deserved the sword of God's judgment. We're told in Isaiah 64, when it comes to trying to be righteous, we have all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. That is the condition of us all from the moment of birth. We deserve God's holy, the fire of God's holy wrath. We deserve the sword of his judgment. And what we learn from the Bible is that, is that the fire of his wrath and the sword of his judgment came upon a cross where his son hung in our place and in your place. For our sake, he made him sin, made Jesus sin to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, you know, Moses went to Egypt to deliver Egypt, but God delivered Egypt. I mean, delivered Israel from, from Egypt, from the, from the bondage of slavery. And so the question I want to leave with you is that the that most of us in this room, if not all of us, believe that God's, the fire of God's wrath fell upon Jesus in your place and the sword of God's justice fell upon Jesus in your place. Who is Jesus to you, really? Like, Joshua had to get over his whole general mentality. Like, like when he realized who he was standing before, this whole notion of him being the general of all of Israel dissipated <laughs> because he stood before the commander of the Lord's armies. He stood before the king of kings and lord of lords. He stood before the one who will, would one day balance the scales of justice. And his only response was to worship him. And he said, do, tell me what you want me to do. March around the city a bunch of times, blow some horns, and shout, I'll do it. I mean, think about what Jesus describes himself as. And and the worship team can come up, you know, as I, as I read this passage. Jesus, Jesus is described in Colossians chapter 1 as this. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things were created by him and in him and, and for him, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who is Jesus to you? Like, is he this all-powerful, holy Savior who has said to you, if you want to believe in me, you must follow me and take up your cross and follow me to go where I call you to go, to follow me into whatever city I'm calling you to follow me into? Like, who is Jesus to you? Is he the Lord of creation? Is he the sovereign one? Is he the one that's holding the sword? Is he the one 
that you listen to, even if he tells you to march around a city a bunch of times, blow some horns, and let him deliver the people into your hand? Like, is he that to you? Or is he just some religious icon? Like, you can't separate the name Jesus from Christ. Christ means he's the Messiah, he's the Lord. You can't have Jesus without him being Christ. Like, who is he to you? You know, it wasn't just the Canaanites who were judged by God. God flooded the earth. Talk about genocide. He flooded the earth and killed every person that lived on the earth except for one family. Why? Because he's holy, and all the earth deserved his judgment. He judged Sodom and Gomorrah by burning, burning them to the ground. When Israel worshipped other gods, they were exiled, and God used Assyria and Babylon to do it, two ungodly kingdoms to do it. He is patient, but his patience can be exhausted. At some point, it may last 400 years or it may last 10 years, at some point he comes to a place and he says, enough. And the question I leave you with is, who is God to you? Who is he? Who's Jesus? Are you following him? Is Jesus just Jesus, or is he Jesus the Christ? There's this passage, and then I'll just leave you with this, and then I'll come up and I'll close our time in prayer after we sing this song. I was haunted by this, and I just feel led to, to, to share this with you. The words are not on the screen. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That verse is in Hebrews. It's written to the church. I don't think it's saying you can lose your salvation. It's just saying, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, understand who it is you're following and obey. Obey him. The fruit of biblical faith in the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life is obedience. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.